Hey, everybody. I'm O'Teal. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to Comes a Time podcast. We've got another great one for you today. Today, we have civil rights attorney from Los Angeles, Mr. Jim DeSimone. And a deadhead. Yeah, a big deadhead and what I would consider a modern superhero. I mean, he is really uh, fighting for people's rights out there that are being trampled on. And he's got an amazing story to tell. Yeah, he's super cool to chat with. And uh, he also has, I would vote him best uh, background uh, in an interview so far, as far as what we've had, he had a pretty, uh, it was, I, I was like bug tripping out for a little bit talking to him. I just kept zoning out over his shoulders. So you guys will love this episode. And we want to remind you that comes a time is a part of the Osiris media family. Uh, you could check out all Osiris podcasts at osirispod.com. And also Make sure and subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps us out. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Jim D. Simone. Thanks, everybody. When it comes to work, communication is key, even if you don't have a writing job. Sounding unconfident, indecisive, or passive-aggressive can hold you back professionally and hurt your team's productivity. Grammarly Premium's advanced tone suggestions make sure you're always sending the right message. Sound clear and confident in your writing and automatically replace negative-leaning language with solution-focused alternatives. With Grammarly's help, you can build stronger relationships at work, be constructive in the face of challenges, and help your team get things done. Grammarly works where you do, so your team's projects get done before the deadline. And with features like comprehensive spelling, grammar, and clarity-focused sentence rewrites, Grammarly helps keep your writing efficient and mistake-free. The right tone can move any project forward. Get it just right with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to sign up for free. Then get 20% off when you upgrade to premium. That's 20% off at Grammarly.com slash podcast. Hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me, it's a game changer. I use Sunset Lake's tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown. Hey, I'm O'Teal. And I'm Mike. And welcome to another episode of the Comes a Time podcast. Today, we are really, really fortunate to have a good friend and civil rights attorney, Jim DeSimone, on with us. And he's going to help 
answer a lot of questions I know I have. I'm sure everybody's been watching all these protests and, you know, you're always kind of debating things and trying to look stuff up. Well, now we got the man here to uh, help us out, sort, uh, help us sort through these things. So thank you so much, Jim, for joining us. Well, you know, it has to be the thrill of my life to join you, O'Teal, and to see you, Mike. Um, been a big fan of The Grateful Dead uh, since, since college, and I've seen so many of your shows. And, uh, you know, a little bit of a fan here, but I'm going to do my best to impart what information I have to uh, help us get through these times. Just don't um, blow it, okay? Because this is your chance to really shine in front of O'Teal. So um, <laughs> it, it really looks bad when someone fans out. But yeah. uh, no, no awesome, awesome Grateful Dead. Uh, that's pretty dope in the background there. Your backdrop is phenomenal. Yeah, thank you. We were fortunate enough to fly out from California a couple of years in a row to lock in, saw Dead and Company, and the Jerry Garcia tribute on the hill that night with, with lettuce and everyone playing. It was just, just amazing. And this is from uh, the 40th anniversary of the Terrapin Station when Bobby and Phil played uh, in 2017. So I picked that up there and thought uh, I'd string it up for the show. Nice choice, man. Thank you for doing that. I thought it was really cool how we met because, you know, when I started posting about um, the protests on my Instagram, you know, of course, it started quite a lot of arguments and stuff, which I engaged in because I figure, like, you know, for people that don't know, I'm not, I got better things to do than waste my time with trolls. But if people get asked these same questions that don't know the answers to them, then I wanted to show them. And I had people writing me in my DMs and stuff like, thank you, because I, some, even someone in my family said that. And I don't know what to tell them, you know, how to respond. And uh, so when you contacted me in my DMs, I was like, oh, sweet. You know, first thing I said, we got to get you on the podcast. So uh, what, what, what is a civil rights attorney? Like, what do you do? What does it mean to be a civil rights attorney? Let's start there. Yeah, I've been a civil rights attorney in the Los Angeles area for 35 years. And um, it really takes attack. It's underdog litigation. I'm always representing the people against the government, against corporations, in different instances, police excessive force, false arrest. I've sued the United States of America for violating people's rights. And of course, that's a big topic now as we see what's going on in Portland. Another aspect of being a civil rights lawyer deals with employment discrimination. Remember when the Civil Rights Act was passed back in 1964, one thing it did was outlaw discrimination in employment. So we take on race discrimination cases, sexual harassment cases, that type of thing. We never ask anybody to pay us any money. It's very rare. It's always on a contingency fee basis. You know, I'm, I don't, I'm not on the back of a bus. I'm not on TV, but we let our good work speak for ourselves in order to uh, help people out uh, when they've been through bad times. Helped a lot of people out too, man. We've been following you yeah. and uh, good work, man. Jim, I'd, I'd like to ask you early on when you were getting into, you know, uh, studying for your JD and getting like into law, did you know that this was the practice, this was the, the, the avenue of law that you wanted to, um, you know, go with right off the bat or did you fall into it or have a calling? I really didn't know. I, I always knew I went to college in Baltimore and, um, you know, a liberal arts institution, Johns Hopkins. And I sort of realized that I had some skills, some talent. There's a lot of different ways to make money. And I decided 
whatever I do, I'm going to want to make a living while helping people. I don't just want to exist in this capitalist system taking, I want to give. And, um, but I had, you know, I was the first one in my family that went to college. I, I didn't know lawyers. So I didn't really know that this type of law even existed. And it's evolved. I mean, when I first became a lawyer in 1985, there was really not much in the way of, of civil rights law in terms of suing the police. There, there were pioneers that come before me, Johnny Cochran, for instance. Everybody knows him from the O.J. Simpson trial, but he was a great civil rights lawyer. We would go see him speak, and he was very inspirational. So I came into it. Mike, what I, what I first did after bouncing around a little bit, um, I lost my first job because I represented student protesters at UCLA and the anti-apartheid movement. Uh, you know, we took over the administration building, we, we affected social change, we got not only the UC regents to divest, we got the state of California to divest from companies that did do business in South Africa during the apartheid regime, which was the equivalent of slavery, right? So I saw firsthand how social activism could work on the ground, and, and we, we actually did force that change. It was a beautiful thing to see. Nelson Mandela's in prison. In 1990, uh, we're, we're all, 1990, yes, 1990, we're all in the Coliseum watching him speak, you know, it was just a beautiful transformation. So all of those experiences, after I did three years of legal services, I was a legal services attorney in Santa Monica representing lower income people who were facing eviction or trying to get social security benefits, that type of thing. Um, I met a guy, Ben Schoenbrunn, he had an office on Venice Beach. Uh, maybe you guys have been to Venice Beach. You know, it's, uh, you know, out here in California. It's, uh, um, you know, a very unique place. And I thought, well, this guy's got it made. He's got his office on the beach there. And we formed a partnership and we instantly just through some good karma began getting these. Our first case was a wrongful death case against the city of Hawthorne where a officer shot and killed a mentally ill young man who really needed help. And he murdered him. And, you know, we, we were off to the races and I've been doing this for the past 30 years. It's such a common theme right now, you know, where you see people talking about defund the police, you know, and um, they're replacing some police with mental health experts. And you see the rates going down where they do it. You know, it's like they're finally I don't like the term defund the police. I also do like it as a starting tact, you know, as a starting place to negotiate from. But I kind of feel more like, you know, nobody batted an eyelash when the Republicans tried to defund the EPA and openly said it, you know, and the right. systematic defunding of ed education and every other, you know, service, all the other services to poor neighborhoods. So I like to call it refunding. <laughs> let's refund <laughs> education and refund you know since y'all defunded it before how about you refund but maybe you could explain that for people that have only been watching fox news and think they just want to eliminate all police departments altogether. you know yeah you know i i love that idea refund the social services that are needed i'm looking at uh transforming the police you know we hear about reforming the police but we really need to transform the police um, you know, right now you have a, a warrior culture. And yes, we need trained police officers. I, I you know, I, I don't think that it's realistic to say we, we're not going to have police officers in, in, in it, it, it's not. Not but, in this country. 
not with everybody else with all with all with all the guns but uh you know we'll, we'll leave that aside but you know i i think that um in in this instance we we really need we have the opportunity here to create a sea change in the way police police our communities where you've got these individuals who are police officers who look at the community as the enemy and it and it and that happens in some communities you see the interactions why is why did defund police come to the fore? Why is the Black Lives Matter movement so prominent? Well, statistically, three times as many African Americans get killed uh, as uh, other other races when you account for population, and that's just the shooting deaths. I mean, Sandra Bland wasn't shot. You know, George Floyd wasn't shot. I represented the family of Vachel Howard, who was killed in 77th Division here in Los Angeles. He died of a chokehold while in custody. Eric Garner. They Eric Garner. Him. Eric Garner. You know, the list goes on. And, and so when we see these, and, you know, it's like the Grateful Dead, we love the Grateful Dead because they're storytellers. I mean, beyond the beautiful musicianship that you guys put together, all the songs have, have meaning and they, and they have different meaning to each of us as we're in the audience. And, and, you know, you come away with that sense of community as, um, as, as I think it was Mickey who told us after the fairly well, you know, take this elsewhere, you know, be kind, you know, treat each other with, with, with respect. And, you know, so it go, it's a two way street. I mean, we, you know, I, I, I cringe when I see people who deal with police officers who are instantly, you know, jump to being disrespectful towards them because they don't have an easy job. Right. You know, so, it, 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 you know, let, let's let's be real about it. We all have a sense of, of personal responsibility. But what happens when police interact with African-Americans in a case like Sandra Bland, where she knows. I'm getting pulled over because I'm black, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we have statistically in Los Angeles, they looked at what was going on with Metro division, just so disproportionately pulling over people of color that they're re, you know, they're, they're actually like going through all the prosecutions because these guys would just lie on their, on their police reports. If I go into court and testify to something, it's perjury, right? Police officers get away with perjury with impunity all the time you know um so so the whole qualified immunity thing is about too right well on a national level yes i mean we used to not worry that much about qualified immunity as a civil rights lawyer um if an officer engaged in excessive force it was usually accepted that if you went beyond the force that's reasonably necessary to uh deal with the situation and you could prove that in court through video evidence witness testimony the injuries then we could overcome qualified immunity. But what has happened is that the United States Supreme Court, as it's grown increasingly conservative with, you know, taking away, say, the Obama appointee Merrick Garland and really stealing a Supreme Court justice from us as, um, you know, uh, I hope I get a little political here. You know, the, the, let's call it the Republicans did. I mean, Obama had the right to appoint the Supreme Court justice and the Senate didn't do its job. And now we're stuck with a more conservative Supreme Court it doesn't respect certain aspects of our constitution. They love the second amendment, right? <laughs> but what about the first amendment? What about the fourth amendment? What about our seventh amendment right to a jury trial? And what qualified immunity does, it takes away the right to a jury trial. It lets a judge, a lot of times you don't even get to argue it in federal court. The judge will just issue a written opinion and say, well, there's no prior cases that are exactly similar to this. You can't hold the officer accountable. And 
So when you say that there's no prior cases, you're talking about no prior cases against him or specifically? Yeah, good. Thank you, Atil. No, no prior cases that have the specific factual scenario that that officer faced at the time. So even anybody. Right. And and not that not that it never happened before, but it had never made its way up to the appellate court such that you have a written published decision that says this is wrong. For precedent. The precedent, exactly. Gotcha. And okay. so, um, so it really does serve to narrow the ability to take on these cases because you have situations where they, they had a bunch of qualified immunity cases that went to this U.S. Supreme Court. And we have the instance where, you know, one in four people who get shot and killed by the police are mentally ill. They're, they're crying out for help. And sometimes they have a box cutter, as happened recently in L.A. Sometimes... Had a woman in LA years ago with a screwdriver, 96 pound woman with a screwdriver. That was held to be okay to shoot and kill her. I mean, it's just so what we really need to have is just a, a philosophy of you only shoot to kill. And they say, well, shoot to stop, but you're shooting to kill, really. You only shoot to kill where it's absolutely necessary, where you can have other alternatives for the police to intervene. Try and exhaust those alternatives until you take a life because you know, there's no coming back when you pull that trigger. <laughs> no. And the thing it gets me is also the cop, you know, you see these cops, you know, not to single out Amy Klobuchar, but that was who let off, you know, all those, that those cops had, many 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 complaints against them that's right already that's right that's right like how do you have like 12 complaints or something but and, and what and what happens is that the you have the police policing the police so the so the officer that killed george floyd had you know 14 20 complaints against him but he was exonerated in almost everyone i think one or two he got he got a hand slapped right so that is what we're pushing for here in California. We should be pushing across again across the country. This is because the police have such awesome power. And I don't mean it awesome like a Grateful Dead concert. I mean awesome like they can literally, you know, take someone's life, right? Um, we, we need to take a look at this. And you have to have independent investigatory agencies, off, you know, some type of office of inspector general that comes in, and then an independent prosecutor to look at those cases because as long as you have the police policing the police and as long as you have district attorneys who rely on the police to make all their, you know, the, basically their convictions, there's an inherent conflict of interest that they're going to give the police a pass. And um, I've just dealt with so many cases here in Los Angeles with the LAPD that it, it's sort of like a little schizophrenic. There's forces within the LAPD. You could see them wanting to do good and then you still have the warrior mentality where it's, you know, circle the wagons and we're going to protect the boys in blue no matter what, no matter, no matter how they violate rights. And That's what I was going to ask. Go ahead, Mike. That's what I was going to ask about, like, you know, in, in that, that blue blood mentality or, you know, there has to be cops that are conflicted right now that are like, I, I can't stand by and watch a van, an unmarked van on 25th and 2nd in Manhattan pull up and in plain clothes, grab a protester and throw them in the van and drive off. Like if I were 
you know, common sense dictates that like this just isn't what should be happening. So if you're a, if a police officer, let's say is listening or watching and feels that conflict, what can a police officer, you said policing the police, like police are policing themselves. There has to be some good cops there. Like, what do they do? How do you like do that on your end? Yeah, there's absolutely good cops out there. I mean, I, you know, I I think that they get a little jaded. Um, You know, my, my partner, Carmen Sebader, she was NYPD for 10 years and now is a civil rights lawyer working hand in hand with me on those cases. I think that the the problem is, is that, you know, you've got that term, you know, don't be a rat, you know, Serpico in New York. I mean, he got, he got shot under very suspicious circumstances after he came forward. So you're literally dealing with matters of life and death. That's why they need the protection. Those officers who do want to do good, they need the protection of independent and independent prosecutors and you need rules and regulations that if these officers don't come forward, they could, they could be held accountable. Um, you know, there's uh, there's no easy answer to, to this, but I, I was encouraged today that I saw one of the head uh, officers in SWAT in Los Angeles just filed a lawsuit against he's he's still with the department and he filed a lawsuit against LAPD in the city of Los Angeles saying look the right now our SWAT team if you try to speak out against using excessive force you know you're ostracized and the people who are you know engaging in excessive force are the ones that that are encouraged by by the people in charge and, and he just filed a lawsuit so one you know one one way to take care of these, it's a long process, is through the courts. And that's why, you know, I'm really proud of, of, of the work that we do and, and, and will continue to do in that area. Yeah, we, don't, we do not have a culture that is good at protecting whistleblowers. Even Obama, I mean, he ran on, we got to protect these whistleblowers, you know. They think, the stuff, think of the stuff that we wouldn't know without Edward Snowden and... Assange and Chelsea Manning and all these, you know, I can name a bunch of other whistleblowers, you know, but, and then he prosecuted, Obama prosecuted more whistleblowers than all previous presidents in history combined. So, you know, like every, and you hear the same thing over again. Well, I tried the internal route and then I got shut down, you know, and, and when trying the internal route will endanger your life and get you a bullet in the back, you know, that's, now you know that's a hard thing to deal with you know like i follow this cop uh uh, ed calderon i think his name and he was from mexico and he was a good cop and he eventually had to leave because he's a good cop yeah yeah (laughs) no yeah there's 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 no easy answers to this um but you know what The, the people out in the streets the hundreds of thousands of protesters across the country who were peacefully protesting and, and i do want to emphasize that i mean i am a firm believer in the ethos of martin luther king of peacefully protesting in in in, in the streets when necessary um and it has changed uh in different areas uh how people are relating to um the, the you know to making change for instance in Los Angeles, we have a community partnership where um, uh, basically you've got police officers who they're not judged on the arrests they're making. They're really evaluated based on the relationships they form with the community. And so Connie Rice, who's a longtime civil rights lawyer here in California, you know, she was working with the city of Los Angeles. 
And so you'd have these pocket programs, right? They did it in public housing. And the, the crime rate went down, the homicide rate, rate went down. So it's like these things can work. In, and what we have to do is look at the things that are, are working in isolated instances and really use it across the board. And so, you know, I, I read the paper every day. I, I, read, you know, I read the Los Angeles Times because, you know, I, I do think that the news can inform us. You know, it, it, it's real. <laughs> you know, they, they, you know, reporters are trying to get it right. Remember, that First Amendment right just doesn't protect us, our right to speech and to peaceably assemble. It protects the freedom of the press, and we need to keep that protected as well. And so you see that although the city of Los Angeles came out, and I'm representing a number of protesters who were injured badly in those protests and attacked by, by police, sort of the same images we saw in Washington where people were beat back, that happened on the streets here in Los Angeles. We were appalled, I mean, because... It's like, damn, haven't we been through this before? <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, the, the city has yeah, paid Los out. Angeles. I mean, you know, Rodney King. I, I, you know, I saw, I, I watched. I mean, I didn't participate. I, I, I peace, peacefully protest when Rodney King uh, was acquitted in 1992. I, I saw police cars being burned in front of me. No, those those were legit riots. They were. You know, it was scary. Even the '60s, you know, while I got to kill Martin Luther King, I was riots. This is like different from that, man. You know? Well, yeah, exactly. People, people are are definitely um, you know the vast majority of people. I'm so impressed by the young people of of America, the people I'm representing. I mean, they are active. They care. I mean, one thing that all of this I think is propelled. If there's one good thing that has come out of these past four years, is I think it's unwakened awakened rather a, a, a sleeping giant of individuals who are young who are motivated and who know how to do activism both in the streets and where we're all doing it right now on social media and on, on our computers you know so um it's it's it, it's a good thing to see there's no easy answers here but it's like you know that that arc of justice where is it bending and hopefully it's bending towards uh t- towards change well otil and i have had this uh throughput throughout our conversations. And I think that what it's boiled down to is that we're promoting common sense. Um, we want common sense as the third party, <laughs> the common <laughs> sense is, uh, what we're running on. And I think that what happens is everyone is screaming at everyone and no one's listening. And it seems like everyone's trying to peel the layers of an onion back when really we should just be putting them back on and realize it's an onion. It's not that hard to figure Like, let's realize that, you know, when a peaceful protest is attacked, then the people who are supposed to be protecting the streets are coming at peaceful protesters with, you know, armor and tear gas and cars and all of that. And you feel like you can't retaliate because you're automatically guilty because you're not wearing a uniform. I mean, this, this, this under the, like the lava is boiling and we're watching it at home because of social distancing or because of quarantine, or if you're in a hot area with coronavirus, it seems like all of this is happening. We're dealing with so many catastrophes at once. Do you feel like George Floyd was the tipping point? due to everything else that we were dealing with in the world? Do you think that coronavirus played a part in this particular time movement? And, you know, just from your perspective? 
Well, I think I think that when when we watched what happened to George Floyd, it was just so horrific and so unnecessary. I mean, a lot of times when these police shootings happen, it, it does happen very quickly, and the officers faced with a, a, a set of circumstances. That's not to say that they shouldn't fall back on training and not pull that trigger and kill someone. What happened with George Floyd? It was just it was just unadulterated torture of a man to, to kill him. And so it was upsetting to so many people. But I think that individuals throughout the country said, you know what, this isn't just George Floyd. We, we know that this happens across the board in the United States of America, that blacks are treated differently than the rest of us when it comes to policing in many different situations. I mean, people joke about driving while black. Why? I mean, that that's horrible. You know, I mean, if you have to think that if you're driving in certain areas, you're going to be targeted because of the color of your skin. Um, it's just, you know, I can't imagine it. You know, I just, I, I you know, just be very difficult to go through life that way. And so I do think that it was a culmination of the fact that you have this horrific killing and then you have people who have been pent up where we're all been stuck in our house and saying, you know what, enough is enough. We're going to take a stand now to affect change. And, um, and, and, hopefully that, and hopefully that will take place. I mean, we, you know, we, we see this come in waves and I think that we need to sustain it. All of us, I, I love your idea, Mike, and, and, and Oteil of, of the common sense part. That's what I try to say. Look, People say, you're left, you're left. And okay, maybe, but I don't consider myself, you know, I'm not a Marxist. I have a business. I paid salaries, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, for yeah. me, you know, I mean, the Grateful Dead, right? They were, they were the big traveling business, right? They, they had to pay, uh, <laughs> pay all their uh, family and, and everyone else, you know, um, you know, the impact that had on Jerry is a subject for another day, but you know, that, that responsibility, right. But I feel a huge amount of responsibility to my clients and the people uh, that, that I represent and the people that work for me and with me. Right. So, so the common sense where we're trying to say, Hey, we're not trying to have a takeover of government or this idea of Marxism. In fact, we're the other way around. We don't want authoritarianism from the government, but we want a government that really is for the people. It's you're not just going to solve the problem with the police by trying to police the police from the outside. We need to address the fundamental inequities in our society. I mean, there are people across the country. Why should children go to bed starving in the United States of America? And, and why should people right now, because of the coronavirus, be going to bed at night saying, I don't know where I'm going to be living. I mean, I had people come contact me. I lost my job. I'm afraid of being homeless. And, you know, you have a country like Canada that's giving people, you know, $2,000 a month. We're going to shut down. They, they did the right thing to deal with, with the coronavirus in order to protect its people. And I do not understand the mentality of individuals who are so willing, okay, $500 billion for corporations without any accountability. We're going to fire the person who looks at that. That's cool. Tax breaks. You're gonna you're gonna give you know loan you know these loans to hedge funds. You know that that's cool. But boy, if we give something to the person who's suffering and 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 facing homelessness, it's like oh you know we're just encouraging them. There's like this really mean spirited attitude <laughs> of some individuals. I just don't, I I it it I just don't get it. it it's to hear there's there's a lot of cognitive dissonance, and I think some of it is classist, and that ends up being racist but you know i get so sick of this bullshit 
conservative, I hear it from black conservatives about personal responsibility, which I don't think is bullshit itself right. because I take personal responsibility, but to hear it for, to hear it from someone, always apply it to the little guy. And then these guys get trillions of dollars bailed out, you know, and then give their pay out record bonuses or, or get uh, bailed out and then declare bankruptcy you know, it's like, what about the, their personal responsibility? That you should let them go out of business. How about they pull themselves up from their bootstraps? Right, right. You know, I, or by their bootstraps. It's like, you know, it's just, it's it, really hard to listen to, and and then to also get pegged into these labels of being, you know, I'm a communist. Or <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you can't wow, just be no, sympathetic. It's, it's human rights. It's not. I'm not a progressive or any ist capitalist. This I'm a common census. When all the, our capitalist allies have health care or the equivalent of Medicare for all and free tuition and, you know, all these affordable housing, uh, just those things alone, a, a minimum wage, their job is guaranteed while the pandemic's going. There's mortgage forgiveness, just common sense things. So now you're going to label me as something else, you know, and I'm like, I'm not having it, you know, I'm not having it. Hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smartwool. For more than 25 years, Smartwool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. You know, there are people way, way, way worse off than than me and i'm not i'm using me as an example because i'll only speak for myself but i hate the news and i it makes me so sad to see a bunch of you know folks in suits making decisions for the entire country and you see these people saying well folks feel incentivized to not go to work right now so we've got to make sure that we're not giving them more than they had in their minimum wage job during this year 2020 some woman may have had a child lost her minimum wage job and lost her benefits and the government is fighting over six hundred dollars versus 200 versus 70 percent of what and then they go on recess and then they fight in fight with each other and it's just so heartbreaking oh, they when all it's, have health care <laughs> they all have right. health care. Right. They all have, you know, and, and it's like, listen, we need to do this before recess because I have one more trip to the Hamptons before, you know, fall and I need to get back out on my boat one more time. And it's like, how can people, I, as a stand up comic, my, my career doesn't even exist anymore. And I'm not complaining. I can, I have, I can go do, you know, Ivanka or whoever said like, go do something else, whoever hit met, right? Learn a new trade. But I guess if I have to learn something, I will. Um, but it's sad to me to think that there are people who have to like be at the mercy of a government that just doesn't think that they're worth you know, $600 a week or whatever that number may, I'm, I'm throwing that number out because that's what we were given, but it's like, how on earth 
do you feel that anybody should trust where we're at right now when all of this horrible stuff is going on? We're, we're, the handling of the coronavirus is a, a laughing stock. We're at higher numbers now. I thought the summer was going to kill it. So, I mean, you know, the, the tension in this country is so boiled over that, um, you know, and then we see this, th- these things that are happening. Portland, I mean, the fact these um, mothers, I mean, so, they deserve statues, you know? I mean, it's amazing that, that mothers are, did you, I don't know if you guys saw the video of one of the mothers was standing outside screaming, saying like, I have, I've gone days without sleep. I want to go home and see my kids, but they know that it's important for me to be out here because, you know, I have to stand up and be a mom. And it's like, you know what some idiot wrote on my Instagram? He was like, because I posted something about Port. So you're supporting Antifa? You know, I can't believe this. And I was just like, well, if the line of like, if there's grandmothers and then there's the vets and then the soccer moms with their bicycle helmets and then the dads with their leaf blowers and then the peaceful protesters. So yeah, if they're, if that's Antifa, then I guess, yeah. I mean, like again with the, which is why does it have to be anything? Why can't it just be love? Radical left-wing terrorists. And I'm seeing grandmothers, vets, you know, soccer moms and dads with leaf blowers and protesters all being completely peaceful. Not to say that there isn't some violence going on around it. And uh, I'm just like, it's chaos. But one thing I wanted to ask you about that, but you know, is it, how can it be legal for you to be unmarked as an officer, whether you're with ATF or whatever, and then just grab someone and then throw them into a, a car you got from Enterprise Rent-A-Car? Like if someone tried to grab Jess and I don't even know who it is, that could be like a white supremacist dressed as an unmarked troop. Like, I'm going to try to kill that guy. You know? It's very Yeah, it's very scary. And then, of course... You know, then then you could get prosecuted, right? If it if it happens, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's amazing because when you first asked me that question, Otil, we have been dialoguing uh, prior to this. I, you know, I, I I went to like the top constitutional law scholars, and you know, hey, is is there do police have an obligation, federal, state, to identify themselves? And um, while most local departments have rules that, you know, the police do have to have their names. If asked, they have to identify themselves, although I see that violated all the time. Um, there's no absolute law that requires it, right? So we, we so there ought to be a law, right? As they say, you know, we, we, we should, because um, that is very scary because they will keep those individuals in indefinite detention unless they agree not to participate in any more protests. That's what's happening now. Pro, pro and public, that's legal? Pro-public, we, well, <laughs> signed off by a federal judge. And that's why who we elect is so you know, important because the president of the United States appoints these federal judges through the system, the district courts, court of appeal. It's not just the Supreme Court. That's, that's across the board. So, you know, can I, can I even back up one layer back these, these special police or these forces that were where, you know, the unmarked cars, are they licensed police officers or are these volunteers? Cause I was hearing a lot of different stuff and I don't know what is, you know, in New York, the situation in New York that happened the other day, they said it was warrant police that were going after someone who uh, vandalized 
police cameras or whatever, right? That's what the New York Police Department, I think the statement they made. But these folks in Portland, are they actually police officers or are they volunteers of some, did they go through any training in the police academy? No, they're, and, and, you know, we can talk about training too, but they are, they, uh, many of them are, are hired guns. They're hired through private corporations. They're called federal protective services. We're spending billions, billions of dollars a year on hiring private mercenaries to, they, they're, they're supposed to be hired to protect federal property, but they're now they're going out into the streets and snatching people off the streets and then getting judges to sign off on, okay, if these individuals want to get out of jail, they have to agree not to participate in any more peaceful protests. It's just, you know, they, they, it is unconstitutional. But I was going to say, that violates an amendment. <laughs> you can't. It's very hard to sue the United States of America, though. I don't want to dissuade. I mean, there's a great lawsuit. They just filed a lawsuit last week in Chicago uh, that, um, you know, re- very reputable lawyers that really set out all this and set out everything that our president has said to encourage it to try to put a stop to it. I don't, you know, they're asking for a restraining order. I don't think that that's been adjudicated. I did some looking on it. I don't see that, that any judges ruled off on it. So yes, it should violate a constitution, but, but guess what? If I sue the United States of America and I am suing the United States of America for a tort, a tort is a legal wrong. I don't get a jury trial. We have a Seventh Amendment right to a jury trial, but not against the United States of America. A judge decides what, you know, so you don't get a jury of your peers. And the so, judges are appointed by the politicians. Right. So then the judge is critically, you know, who that judge is is critically important, you know, and, and so, you know, it, it, it winds down. Now, you can get a jury trial if you can identify the individual. There's what's, you know, and, and sue the individual and then hopefully the government will indemnify them so you can get, so that it's not that you can never get a jury trial, but if you, if it's, you're going after the policy and you don't know who the individuals are, you're out of luck, <laughs> you know, I mean, in terms of getting, so um, there's so many committed people out there, you know, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm one of them, but there's, you know, there is a, an army of lawyers out there trying to deal with this, but the choices we make in the coming months and getting out to the polls are going to be critically important in, you know, setting the groundwork. Cause um, yeah, you know, there's issues with, with Obama and so on um, in, in terms of how he acted towards whistleblowers. But, you know, um, I, I just want to be completely candid that the judges and the attitude of the Trump administration is hostile towards our rights under the constitution and um, he, he, he's got to go for us to have a chance, you know, oh, and just live with, with the coronavirus. I mean, you know, his, his, you know, the laughable approach is on the national level. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, maybe we should stay away from politics, but, you know, it's just it, it, the reality. No, this, this, is, this is not normal. This is beyond anything that any of us could have expected. It's uh, common sense. It's, it's when you look at it from the framework of common sense and I don't care what party. And I don't care what, where you stand on it. There's no middle anymore. There's no coming to like the center and saying, okay, we disagree on things. We need to figure out what's best for the people and how we can, you know, you bend on this. I bend it. There's no more of that. You know, like it says today, like federal agents will be phased out of Portland. Meanwhile, the Trump administration announced agents will be deployed in Detroit, Cleveland, and Milwaukee. He's just going to send them. 
So it's like Somewhere it's like else. it's like exterminating bugs in one area. They're going to pop up in others if like. <sighs> and there's no and there's really you know I was looking at Detroit you know re, uh, listening to some of the individuals um, who are who are there and there's nothing going on in Detroit. I mean, there's peaceful protests, but no you know nothing. You know, don't take care of that. Right. And so, right, exactly. You know, it's like every action has a reaction, right? And so you have these federal agents going in and, and, and you know, shooting tear gas at, at, at individuals and, and these projectiles. And of course, you're going to have the reaction of people getting upset about that. So, yeah, it, it, you're right, Mike. I mean, it, it's, um, it, it's a little bit of whack-a-mole here with what the federal government is doing. And, um, you know, if, 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 if people don't like what they're seeing, you know, make sure you're registered to vote, check that registration. There's a lot going on with, you know, people getting taken off um, the, the, the registration rolls and so on. We all need to be vigilant to protect that vote. Um, I'm going to see what I can do about getting being out there on the ground November 3rd and, you know, with my colleagues to make sure that, you know, the worst case scenario of people worried are federal agents going to be intimidating people not to vote. I mean, we see that in like, you know, other countries that are authoritarian and it's like wow they, they always said if fascism comes to america it will come draped in the american flag and you know we're seeing it right now we're seeing it right now yeah we are it's how like, is it how is it that uh you know um you see folks uh storm the state houses in michigan i believe it was sure. uh middle of the pandemic uh, armed to the teeth with AR-15s, and some of them have flags with swastikas and Trump 2020 and all of that. Um, and then peaceful protests are being tear-gassed. And um, from your perspective, from a legal perspective, I mean, what do folks that uh, we'll call innocent bystander, uh, the, middle, the, the folks, the majority of people, like what can we do to help normalize common sense again you know like is that something that's do you have any advice for folks that like kind of maybe don't have a legal uh card to play in this or yeah well i think a, a few different things i mean it, it, it there's no there, you know no magic wand right like you know but but i mean one i know i know i know it's basic but vote we got the census coming up. Make sure you're counted in the census. You know that that that's important for for resources. Be a witness. You know, video witness. Be peaceful. I mean, I I, I do think that you know when you've got individuals throwing things at police at police officers, it ends up giving justification to the clampdown. <laughs> you know, so um, if we can, you know, it, it, when we have thousands and you know the women's march millions of people in the street it, it, it it's powerful and and then people who are in charge do listen to that and try to affect change i see it happening here in california i know it's different you know in different places but you know i i can see i can see it happening here so witness how many times do i have a case where you know someone's witnessed something like i don't want to get involved you know so if you witness something you know our, your duty is to, to, to say, what, say what you saw, you know, mm -hmm. and we can also, you know, educate ourselves. I mean, you know what, you know, really, you know, and, and engage people in a way that's not attacking them. Like you said, you know, common sense. I try so hard not to get into these personal fights with people, but instead to try to 
you know, lift up the level of conversation um, in, in order to, um, uh, you know, hopefully, I may not be changing the mind of the person, you know, you're talking about, you know, people arguing with you on Instagram, I may not be able to change that person's mind, they may just be too deeply rooted, but at least by um, conducting myself in a way that, you know, it's, it's just conversational and just common sense. Hey, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not in the democratic party. Really. I was peace and freedom party you know, for, for years until, you know, but, but, you know, to say, Hey, look, we just want common sense solutions to solve these problems. Cause at the end of the day, all of us want to be able to, you know, have a peaceful place to live and, and be able to enjoy the things we, we enjoy, take care of our family, put food on the table, you know, um, it, that, that, that we, we want to live in, in peace. Right. And, um, so this demonization of, you know, by the right of the left and, you know, to be fair, the other way around, we really need to get, to get beyond that. Um, Sometimes I, I wonder if it's possible, you know, because you, you see, I, I see people on both sides because the country's really split down the middle, you know, and let's face it, it always has been. So it's like in our DNA as a country. So every four years, one side feels like the other side's trying to impose its values on them. And, you know, I don't care if the Amish want to live the way they want to live. And if, you know, if someone's like really orthodox Muslim Christian Jew and wants to live like it's the 1200s, okay. Like, you know, I'm fine with that. I'm fine if you want to be a racist as long as you don't, as long as we can live in peace, you can stay on your side, me on mine. Like, I don't, I almost wonder if we couldn't have a secession, <laughs> you know, because everybody feels like the other side's trying to impose their thing on them. And me as a common sensist, I'm like, I'm not, man. Yeah. I want to do my thing. You do your thing, but you know, we're not, I'm not messing with you. You don't mess with me. Right. And I just, I'm, there's no question. There's, I'm, I don't know if there's an answer, you know, it's just a philosophical, like what's yeah. happening here. I, I've never believed in parties. I mean, I swear, I, I bet you that if some Republican came into the picture right now with some good progressive common sense ideas, folks and didn't from take, both, and didn't take any corporate money. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, it's I'm true, just saying, but common yeah, sense, I mean, like if you're taking all this corporate money, then you're serving them and not me. So if somebody is willing to do that, I don't care what party they doesn't come matter what from. part. What you party can be you a are. common sense akin or a common sense a crat. <laughs> Just as long as you're common sense. Yeah, as it. long as we got the common sense part, you can be a common sense akin. I don't give a damn. But I, you know, it's. It, you guys and I, and I, remember back in the day there was the bumper sticker: uh, "Think globally, act locally." You know, you know. Yeah. So you know, it's great. You know live simply so others may simply live, you know, this is what, you know, we, we believed in in the 70s and, and, and 80s, or at least uh, so, some of us did. And, um, you know, it's got a lot more complicated. Like, what, what would I love to go back to those simple days? Of yeah, sleep? nobody for president. Remember that sticker? Right, right. right. <laughs> the, the Grateful Dead, the antidote to civilization, you know, sleeping <laughs> on the beach out in Ventura, seeing three days of... Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, and let's... Uh, and, it was still complicated, though, even back then, because, <laughs> I mean, you know... Well, and even uh, that... I know. To that point, I, I, though, I was blissfully ignorant, although I was learning. <laughs> to that point, we were though, young. <laughs> to that Grateful Dead point, you know, you watch an, an old interview with the from Haight Ashbury at the house, 
And Jerry said, we're just trying to live a peaceful life, a simple life, an uncluttered life. We don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want anybody to get hurt. Nobody has wars. What we want to do is maybe bring consciousness ahead a step or even a half step. And like that was what the movement meant to them. And Otil and I, before we had this podcast started, talked about prior to the pandemic, we kicked around, you know, we want to do a podcast about spirituality. We wanted to do a podcast about the resourcefulness of deadheads who are ready, who have been kind of doomsday prepping since they bought their first <laughs> Westphalia top for their VW bus. You know, like when you learn how to cook on a propane tank in Alpine Valley, you're kind of ready for the zombie apocalypse, you know? <laughs> but this thing that we've kind of, that brought us together, that has brought you here, it's that, that common culture of, like you said, Mickey Hart said, like, be kind and help your fellow man and all of that. I have a question that I wanted to pose to you that for those people that are trying to help, and right now if it's monetarily, um, you know, there's a lot of people who aren't too sure where donations can go. What's the best, you know, you hear like, don't, don't donate to this because it might be fake, or don't donate to this because do you have any certain, you know, organizations or nonprofits that you feel uh, deserve supporting, need supporting, should be looked at before anything else, um, just from your legal perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, you know, it, it exactly, it depends on what your emphasis is. I think all of us have to look at, you know, where can we make a difference? Where can we use our skills to think globally, act locally? Um, what, I'm, what I'm seeing on the ground here is, I went to UCLA Law School and I'm happy representing all these USC students. And so, but all these young USC students who've just graduated college, they're organizing um, Water Drop LA, where they're taking water to the homeless population in Skid Row. They're, you know, connecting with food banks and, you know, they're young people, they're getting the trucks, they're getting, you know, it's, it's on the thousands of dollars level right now, but they're, but they're doing good. You know, so when you get back to the question you had asked before, you know, how can we make a difference? You know, we could really look into what areas that we can do good in our own local communities. There are, there are just, you know, I mean, right now, people are going through um, food deprivation because of the coronavirus, you know. So, you know, let, let's, you know, where, where can you do good is, is donating, you know, money to food banks. People are taking food to people to make sure that they are, are able to, to get through this. Um, so, you know, that, that's where, you know, that, those basic needs on the, on the legal front. I mean, I've always, I mean, the ACLU does amazing work. If you feel like you want to de donate to, um, elite, you know, legal causes to fight these battles, the National Lawyers Guild, um, has, you know, a, a just, you know, really an army of lawyers and is organized and, and, and they're a very good organization to, to donate to. So, you know, I, I look at it those, you know, I mean, I know, um, you know, Habitat for Humanity, uh, I've always been a supporter, you know, build, you know, building housing. I saw the model here in Los Angeles. When, when I first got out of law school, one, you know, I started um, working this sort of hole-in-the-wall tenant action center where people would come in, pay $15 if they had it, and we would help them, right? And then that people who started that started a group called Venice Community Housing. And they've actually, through a nonprofit, you know, they build and manage housing for people to transition from being homeless. They're very active. And they don't only do that. 
They provide childcare for working parents. They provide a youth build to train the youth. Um, so, you know, if you were here, I'd say donate to Venice Community Housing. We need Venice Community Housing throughout the United States of America, nonprofits which are looking to, you know, not give a handout, you know, but at least to allow people, I mean, sometimes you do give a handout, but, you know, you're, you're you know, te not? teach a man to fish, right? You know, and he'll live forever, right? You know, so, so it's not just, you know, you, you want to set that foundation so that people can be, you know, to, can sustain themselves and, and live a fruitful life. Yeah, definitely. That's very helpful. That's very helpful. And I think that it's, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of folks that are kind of like, like you said earlier, you know, they see what happened with George Floyd and it's, that's one link in a very long chain of horrible atrocities and they go, Oh, okay, well here I am sitting at home having to see it because no one's at work and no one's, and now people go, where do I go to help? How can I help? So that's very, you know, that's good information I think for people to have. Yeah, the other I think it's, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, just one other thing I should mention is, you know, when this legislation is coming up, you know, calling and, and writing and, and emailing your, your Congress people either on the state level or on the federal level and, and uh, letting them know that you, that you care. I mean, they count that stuff. And, you know, and one big problem with the police, going back to the initial question, is just when you have an officer, the officer who killed George Floyd, is you, you don't, there's no transparency. We don't know what, who the bad officers are because they keep those records sealed tight. It's very hard for us to even get them when we have a civil lawsuit to get them. And so Haven't think, some of those records been released in certain cities? I wish I could remember which cities. It, 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 it's happening. Yeah, it's on a city-by-city city basis. We need, yeah. a, you know, we need a national database because these guys go from one agency to the other. And then, you know, so... Well, uh, and you know what sucks? And this is going to sound super hippie, but like we also don't know who the great cops are. You know, that you well, don't we're see a lot of people on here. We uh, are, we are. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> you don't see on the news someone like, you know, look at, look at what happened here. Like, look at a, a young, I know, I know a police officer who chose to stay on the beat and walk his inner city, uh, you know, um, route instead of taking, uh, promotions because he got to know people by name. He got to know people by that's your grandchild. That's your barbershop that's your deli that's your that that's that and you got to know the neighborhood and they felt safe knowing him they knew him on a first name basis and it was kind of like old school you know like wow he really is a part of the community like the mailman those cops and like the, tell the parents they'd be like hey man your son was doing you know smoking cigarettes in the, you know what i mean yeah, <laughs> yeah they totally. were like yeah, yeah putting their foot on their neck and taking them to jail be like yo we caught him doing like and let mama deal with him that's all you know yeah right. i'd be scared yeah. of my mom you know exactly so, yeah i need to bring that back you know that you know thank you to those police officers that that really take that protect and serve uh admonition seriously and they're out there helping people you know and and and, and they are out there and and you know, you see them, you know, you see, oh, here they came out and they played basketball with them. And, and that's just a wonderful thing. So, you know, um, more of that. that yeah, know. that's where common sense, we need to transform police departments to reward that behavior. That's why I, I loved seeing at LAPD, they're like, we're going to evaluate police officers for the relationships they form with the community rather than the amount of arrests, arrests they do. And, and that's, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. If we, if we could get that 
mantra going across the country, uh, we, we, you know, we could, we could see some good change for all of us. And it does, you know, it, it doesn't only protect, you know, Black Lives Matter is, is so important because of the impact on African Americans in this country of bad policing, but, you know, it'll make all of us safer, you know? I mean, anybody could be, you know, uh, you know it, it happens to people of different, of different races. It happens to Latinos here, uh, of course. And so, you know, a, a police department that had more reverence for life and for, and for community-based really helps us all. It really does help us all. Well, I've said a couple of times, like, you know, I, I, if you look at just the number of white people that are killed by the police, those numbers are so much lower in our capitalist allies' countries. Right. So, right. like, why aren't white people mad about that? Right. <laughs> you know, like, there's just right. too much violence and homicide being, like, resort that we go to right away and uh that to me gets back to kind of the common sense thing of you know the whole thing about race it touches everything but over and above race i there's this sense in my mind like you're next like if you don't care about that it's happening to me okay that may be fine for you now now but you're going to be next because fascism is fascism. It keeps rolling. And people have seen that. You see that where like you see these white women sitting down on, you know, in totally non-threatening positions, just getting kicked, you know, or the old white guy that got knocked down is bleeding out his ear. And it's like, oh, wow, this is like happening to white people. Now the mom's got to get out there to protect their kids that are protesting and vets. You know, it's like, People that's are tear gas. That's wow, tear gas. We're next, you know. Yeah, that tear stop. gas in DC didn't care what color you were. It went in no. your nose and it burned your eyes. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a human rights thing. So uh, yep. you know, if we can keep this train rolling and this momentum going, and, and now that people's eyes are open, uh, I think we can keep making this change. But we got to stay in the streets. It's such a hard thing when you get so many people together that violence can happen. I feel like we can't let that deter us from pe- staying out there peacefully and then not take the bait. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And I yeah. think you've seen that work in Portland, you know, slowly. I, I, absolutely. You know, the, the way, you know, when, when, when the people, when the people speak, the, the leaders follow. And, and if you, if we're able to sustain this in, in a safe way, you know, wear a mask, yeah, you know, it's it's important. But if we're able to sustain this, I, I, I you know, I, I always have hope. Like, you know, we can't, you know, as depressing things. I mean, every morning you could wake up and be depressed over a number of things that are going on right now. But it really is a commitment to say, hey, I'm going to take action and do what I can to make the world around me a, a better place. And um, hopefully uh, we can uh, we, 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 we will sustain that. We will sustain it because yeah. people are not going to let this go. Now, With Jim, the guys like you out there, I feel yeah. way more encouraged, Which, man. I got to tell you, you've been like an angel. It's been such a big help to me to just watch you on Instagram. And uh, I wake up early in the morning at 5 a.m. and I read whatever fresh hell happened. And I'm mad. And then I go on my bike ride and we talk it out. And then I'm like, I have to take a day a quarter at a time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. one Every day hour is a year it's like, lately. It's a, it's a quarter at a time. Just get to that. And you helped me a lot, man. And I'm sure you've helped a lot of people coming on this podcast. I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for just being you that there's knowing people that you're, there's 
Batman's out there and Spider-Man's. That's who you are to me. And, uh, I really, wow. How about that, Jim? O'Teal. O'Teal is saying thank you. Yeah. Well, I, 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 if I could just return that thanks, because the one thing that has gotten me through this quarantine, because, you know, I mean, I, I'm 61 years old. Hey, I, I've been trying to stay safe. I'm, I'm hunkered down. Yeah, I get out there in the streets a bit when I have to and do a press conference or I've been to a couple of the protests. But it's the music, you know, it's the music that is really into that. I mean, those the, 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 the dead and company Saturday, one more Saturday night, first couple months. I mean, my friends, I this that was our social night. You know, we we all have a Zoom party and watch the, the concert, you know, and and, uh, you know, that got us through. And, and I've always been able to do the work that I do through the inspiration of of music. And it just makes such a big difference in people's lives and yeah there's that whole fun aspect i love to dance i love to get out there and shake my bones to to the music and it's also just the inspiration so thank you and everyone in dead and company and all the other bands that have been you know we know that you're not you know you're not on the road and you're not making it but you're sustaining us through these free streams and through this um social commentary so thank you from the bottom of my you're very welcome i i feel like this podcast right now today is the very embodiment of what Mike and I want to do. Cause for me, like people can see the triangle. What sustains me is you, Jim and you, Mike stand up comedy, you know, the, the civil rights war and the stand up comedy keeps me laughing. And so it's like, you know, it's this uh, kind of symbiosis or something. I don't know what the right word is, but I thank you, Mike, man, you know, and it's, we really need each other. And that's the whole point of this podcast, man, is we, we're going to try to do this more and more and, and uh, find where we can come together. And yeah, and well, Jim, it. it's, it's, it's really, uh, <clears throat> it's a, a lesson in an education to listen to you and uh, you're doing incredible work and thank you and to all of your colleagues too. And please keep doing what you can with your knowledge and your power and your education because we are watching and we are learning. So, and on that note, can you tell everyone that's listening where they can find you on social media so they can follow along and any resources? Yeah, well, um, I'm VJ DeSimone. My first name's Vincent. So if you Google V James DeSimone, that's my website. VJ D Simone on um, on both uh, Twitter and um, and Instagram where I'm doing a lot of this. I'm I'm also I, my law firm is on Facebook V James D Simone Law, um, and uh, you know we're here in Los Angeles. I I'm communicating with people all the time. If you go on my website, there's a little thing where you can speak to a lawyer. Guess who looks at all those? Me. <laughs> I mean, I've got a team, but I feel like I can sort of suss through this. So it's, you know, I, I, I really uh, try to make connections where I can. So I, so I welcome anyone who would want to reach out um, and, uh, and, and, and move the ball forward in these areas. It's just Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, man. And when we ever do come back and play Los Angeles, you and me got a hang schedule, bro. We're going <laughs> to... <laughs> I've got a long list of friends who say, <laughs> count me in, but I'll have to choose that wisely. Uh, O'Teal, that would be uh, just the most wonderful thing in the world. I, I, I love you. I love, I love the band and everything you put out. And, and thank you. Thank you for having me today. 
really. It's an honor. Thank you, man. Oh, this is so Bless cute. You. Look yeah. at you too. Thank <laughs> you, everybody, for listening. I mean, practical jokers, too, Mike. That's, oh, all right. Yeah, scary. don't don't get out of here. So all right. Listen, we all got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love law and whatever. Yeah, um, and no, you're thank you, thank you. I appreciate it, and thank you to everyone that's listening and watching. And please stay tuned for another episode of the Comes a Time podcast. Love you, Teal. Love you, Jim. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.